Okay, family, I'm Leon Stevenson, one of the pastors here, and uh, we're delighted that you guys are with us. I, uh, we start off this chapter a little different than others because we start off with a tragedy. I mean, there's a, a beautiful woman named Sarah who dies. And um, we start off from a place of, 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 of hurt as we enter into this chapter. Uh, will you guys pray with me as we, as we dive in this text? God, I thank you for this day. Remove me, Lord, so that people may see more of you. Um, clear our distractions, Father, so we may hear from your word clearly. And uh, may this move us to being a, a people who live more missionally for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we have um, Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kirath Arba, that is Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abram, Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and went to weep over. Um, so we're going to do a recap, a review of who Sarah is. Because at this point, we enter the story with Sarah dying. Some of you have been a part of things and remember Sarah. Some of you are like, who is this woman? So we're going to do a, re, a review of this, this, this woman of faith. She's since, really since Eve in the Bible, she's the only woman spoken of with significance. Like there's women who are mentioned of, hey, she was married to so-and-so and she was married to so-and-so. But we really only, we really get insight into, into her life. Um, she was an outcast for being barren. I mean, one of the uh, chief goals of a woman during that day was to supply an heir to her husband. So that all of the land and everything he worked for didn't just go to some distant cousin. It stayed within the lineage. So being barren um, uh, was definitely not looked highly upon. Um, but she hears the promise that God gives, that God gives to her husband. And she, she laughs a little bit. You know, she's like, what, me, 90? Having a kid at the age of 90, God, are you serious? But, but, but God makes a promise. And can you imagine for a second, like, if, if you were one of the friends of, of Sarah? I mean, y'all are 90 years old, right? And she come walking in, walking in the hair shop with you, like, guess what? I'm about to, I'm about to have a baby. I'm like, girl, you got, I'm old enough to have great, 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 great grandkids. You know, have a baby. What? Like, seriously? Who, who told you you're going to have a baby? God, oh, here she goes, you know, like, come on, this, this, this just seems crazy. I mean, it, it almost seems like, like the perfect soap opera, you know. But, but, but the beauty is God makes a promise, and his promises are not, excuse me, not contingent upon what we think is normal. It's not contingent upon what we deem is normal. So Sister, Sister Sarah's been, been through a lot. She, um... Her husband puts her at the mercy of two men, you know, where she was in their concubines, could have been slept with, could have uh, been a part of these men's lineage, if you will. And, I, and I'm not sure what Sarah was thinking. I'm not sure if she was like hating Abraham so much for doing this or if she was like, God, you've given me a godly man. You said the, the lineage is going to flow. Maybe it's supposed to flow through him having me submit to these men. We don't we don't know exactly what she was thinking. All we know is that she was put in an extremely unhealthy position. And it didn't seem to be in line with God's plan at all. But because her husband said so, she was willing to go. 
She was taunted and teased and undermined by her slave, which had a child by her husband. You know, like this, this, can you imagine, like, even though she was the initiator of the relationship, every time you see this woman, it's a reminder that, man, my husband slept with someone else. But God fulfills his promise and gives Sarah a son named Isaac. And that, that fulfillment of a promise, like, is a, is, is, like, God's promises are not dependent on how we react. But if I, if, I, if I promise you something and I give it to you, it builds a little bit more leverage. You might put a little bit more trust in the, in the next promise I make to you. I can only imagine how, how Sarah's like, wow, like, you gave me Isaac. So will the other promises come true too? This one that seemed like it would never happen took place. Wow, <laughs> this God that I serve is truly amazing. But let's, let's look at some of the other promises that God makes to Abraham and Sarah. If you guys could turn to Genesis 15, it's about, you know, eight chapters ahead. And just keep your finger in Genesis 23. Because what, what, what we're doing today is making sure that you have an understanding of who God is and his beautiful promises as we go into chapter 23. Without understanding the promise, we're going to miss chapter 23. So in 15, God, excuse me, God is talking with Abraham and he says, hey, Abraham, your offspring is going to be as many as the stars in verse five. Verse seven, I'm going to give you possession of land. This is when we start to hear, you know, you, you get the idea that there's going to be a promised land. Well, the promise happens here. And God makes a covenant with Abraham, ratifying that these promises are going to be fulfilled, but it's not going to be based on your goodness, Abraham, not based on you being perfect. It's going to be based on me. It's going to be all on my shoulders. And if this doesn't happen, it's on God's watch. God signs and seals the deal. But in verse, in verse um, 19 and 20, he itemizes the land. And can you guys look at verse 20 and tell me what's the, what's the first component of land that he says, hey, you're going to be owning? Hittites. Hittites. Okay? Keep, keep that, keep, log that in your mind for a second. Hittites. Now, we're going to go to back to chapter 23. Flip back where you were. And we're going to pick back up. Remember, Sarah just passed away. It was living 427 years. Now we go into Abraham after his wife has died and he was mourning her. And in mourning, it's, it, it's this picture of him weeping out loud like crazy, taking, cutting his beard, disheveling his hair, ripping his clothes and throwing dust on himself. Like, like, like this, was, this is the way that men and women in that day like mourned. There, there, there was like a, a extreme despair, and they expressed it physically as well as internally. And, I, and, and he gets up after morning. First thing he does, rises from her bedside, the bedside of his dead wife, to go and speak with the Hittites. Now, we sometimes, I, I, I want to pause for a second, because... 
we sometimes can have a view of pain as if pain is always bad. We sometimes will say, well, you know what? Like, God, I want to trust you for something, but if there's obstacles in the way and it hurts, you can't be in that. You know, or we'll say, well, God, if you close the door, then that means that I'm not supposed to be doing this thing. We, we can sometimes look at who God is and say, man, if we experience pain during the journey, that God must not be in it. And I want to say that, like, if I want to say that's not a biblical understanding of how God leads his people. If you would have, could you imagine, and I'm giving away the whole crust of, of this sermon today, but could you imagine if God came to you and said, hey, I've got a promised land for you, but the catalyst for the promised land for, for people throughout, throughout the ages is going to happen because your wife dies. Your wife dying is going to kick off people being able to attain the promised and holy land. What role does pain play there? Huge role, significant role. Does it mean it's not from God? Not at all. Not at all. And we can go the other we can go the other side too. Instead of pain, we can say, oh man, like everything worked out so smooth. God had to be in it. There was no bumps. It was perfect. It was the it was the it was the when I'm with her, I just feel great. Or when I'm with him, I feel great. Or man, like, you know, my I only had fifteen dollars and they had a shirt, some shoes, and some pants on sale for fifteen dollars. Had to be from God. You know what I mean? Like, like it, 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 it's perfect, right? It feels good, so it's got to be God. Bad test, my friends. Bad way to judge whether God is in it or not. And can God do things in a miraculous way Well, where you feel good while he's caring for you? For sure. For sure. But don't look at pain as if that's the antithesis of God being at work. And we see here... Man, I, I mean, I, I would have hated to be in Abraham's position. I don't think Abraham at this moment, even in this chapter, knows, man, by me purchasing this first piece of land, that it's going to be the catalyst for so much more. I know that he knows that there's a promise. and I know that he's trying to get a burial plot. But I, I can't imagine if God would have presented that to me if y'all would have got the promised land. I'd be like, my Rebecca got to die for all them. Sorry, y'all. Y'all need you better start looking for some a place to rent because you're not getting in. You know? <laughs> Sorry, I can't imagine that thing. But 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 we all have had times in our lives where we look back and we say, Lord, wow, going through that, I could not imagine seeing a healthy outcome. But as I looked back and saw how you were caring for me and saw what you've taught me. Whether it was my stupidity or whether it was you leading, whatever it was, that pain has helped me become the person I am today. And don't take pride and arrogance in it and saying, I'm better because of it. Look at me now. No, God, it was because you broke me and allowed me still to make it through because of your grace. And I'm going to worship you because of that. So we have a, we have a, a brother who is now... Um, 
who's now trying to get some land for his wife and, and I mean, to bury his wife and, and pain takes place. But I want us to see, have a proper image of Abraham and Sarah. Thank you, E, for how the Bible like depicts them. We'll read it from up here because I don't want to take the time for you guys to flip. But in the chapter in, chap, in Hebrews chapter eleven, there's a there's a that chapter's focusing on faith, and the first verse defines faith. The second verse gives us an example of what that faith would look like, and then the chapter goes on to list different key people who exemplified faith. Well, Abraham and Sarah are listed within that, and I, I should have included it, but in verse 8, their name is mentioned. So it goes on to talk about um, when it's saying his home, in verse 9, he's referring to Abraham. By faith, he made his home in a promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past, God bless you, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Okay? Like they again, and we're going to continue, but this is, this, is, this is a text that's helping us see God is faithful in the midst of making promises. I dare I say that's almost one of the, the big themes throughout the entire Pentateuch. The first five books of the Old Testament, God making a promise and coming through. And you're going to see that all throughout the Bible, um, but definitely throughout the rest of Genesis. And so from this one man, and he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Just, just affirming that, hey, those promises that were in Genesis 15, they took place. This is written between, oh, I'm trying to remember, I think it's between 60 and 70 A.D. after Jesus dies. Genesis is written like 1,400 years before Jesus dies. Like this, They're basically saying the proof was in the pudding, y'all. The promise took place, and look at all of us as a result of God's promise coming to pass. In 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And I, I want to I make sure that, we, that even as we look at Abraham and Sarah, we don't miss the component of them fully being people who are saying, hey, God, I'm going to follow you and do what you call me to here in this life. But I also know that there's a life beyond this place. There's a there's a there's a a challenge to us to live fully for Christ now, even though there's promises we won't experience until we pass on or until Jesus comes back. I mean, I'm going to have a list of those promises, which we've talked about before towards the end of the service. But one of them is one of them is peace. I mean, when when you accept Christ and allow him to lead your life, he provides you peace. But but are people still being robbed? Do you, do you still go off on your spouse every now and then? 
do, do you get mad when, 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 you know, somebody treats you wrong, when you see injustice? Like, so the fulfillment of that peace, which will happen someday, praise the Lord, when Jesus returns and makes a new heaven, new earth, that's going to happen. But is our eternal perspective one where we say, God, I'm going to fight for it every day today until I fully experience it? Or do we get defeated and say, oh, well, since that's going to happen in heaven, I'll just chill till I get to heaven. Since I can't fully experience it, God, I'll just chill until I get there. No, friends, let us have an eternal perspective where we are trusting in God, renewing all things, coming through on every single promise. And living it out until we realize, until we get to personally experience each promise fulfilled. So let's go back to Genesis 23. Y'all with me? It's a little hot. Everybody all right? What y'all need to do? Dance a little bit or something? Get y'all up. So Genesis 23. So, so, So with that backdrop that we just went through, now this land becomes extremely important. You see, like, like now as you're going into to the rest of the chapter, now it matters a lot that, that Abraham gets this spot. Because this is going to be the land for all of, for, I mean, this is, this is, the, this kicks off, this, this is a portion of Hebron, which is a portion of Canaan, which is modern day Palestine. This, this is the promised land. So it, it becomes extremely important that he gets this land because the promise is fulfilled. He said, I'm a foreigner and a stranger. And now we're just going to go through the, through the chapter so that you get some of the little nuances and, and are familiar with what takes place on Abraham making sure that he gets this land. I'm a foreigner and a stranger among you. Hmm, foreigner and stranger. Wasn't that mentioned back in the Hebrew, Hebrew component in Hebrews 11? Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied, sir, listen to us. You're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of tombs, of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. So he's saying, and I'm, yep, he's saying, look, I'm a stranger, I'm a foreigner. Would you guys have mercy on me and allow me to purchase some land? They say, okay, cool, you can bury your dead. But they didn't say anything about him purchasing land, did they? They say, cool, you can bury her. Actually, pick any place you want. We'll give it to you. Seems like a sweet deal, right? Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, if you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me. And intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave at Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. So now he's saying, okay, you guys allowed me to to have a place to bury my wife, but I want to buy it. I I want to buy it. And the reason why he's insisting on buying it is because, as as you guys know, have, have you ever had a friend or somebody who loves you and even cares about you, but they give you something? And they kind of like hang it over to your head that they gave it to you. You know, you like, man, thank you for the, you know, thank you for that loan. Or, you know, you, I needed that hundred dollars. You gave it to me. Cool. Man, you know, since you gave me that hundred dollars, you need to come babysit tomorrow. 
you know, since I gave you that hundred dollars, you know, they, they have like stipulations that follow it or they like hold it over your head until you pay them back. Or like even if you pay them back right away, they remind you, you needed me. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to be there for you. I mean, like there can be so much unhealth, even in a gift is what I'm trying to get to. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that. If not, I pray for you that you never do. But I have, and, it's, and it's, you, you end up wishing you had never received the gift at all. This wasn't a gift. This was a burden, you know. So what he's saying here is, look, the, yeah, I want a place to bury my wife. But if you give it to me, there may be a day where you want to take it back because you're still the owner. You still own it. And I, and I don't think he sees God's vision fully. But what God wants to do is make sure that this is their land forever. The ownership component is their land forever. And there can be no fine, you know, fine print that says, you know, oh, sorry, take the land back from you guys. And it's a blessing to see Abraham fighting for it in this way, in a very, very, um, in a very kind and very sincere, but, you know, recognizing the leadership of the Hittites, he, he's, he's, he's still pushing the issue. Ephraim the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. No, my Lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Go ahead, bury your dead. Now, remember, they, they, they shifted him saying he was a foreigner and a stranger to being a mighty prince. So if there's any real estate you want someone to have, it's a guy that has power. And if I'm going to rent to somebody, I'm probably going to choose to rent to somebody with a lot more financial resources than somebody that's struggling to make it. So he's, he, wants, he, he wants to make sure that, that Abraham rents from him, if you will. But the, the, the component about them being among the people is really important because it's almost like a, a process of a notary. You know, like these people are the leaders of the community who make all decisions final. So if, if Abraham can make sure this transaction takes place in front of them, then it's sealed forever. So again, he tries to give it to him. What does Abraham say? Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said, Ephraim, in the hearing, listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field, accept it from me, so I can bury my dead there. Still insisting, still, still wanting to own this land. Ephraim answered Abraham, listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephraim's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So now, like he, now, so that, that $400 mark, that 400 shekels is high. It's like extremely high. But he puts Abraham in a, in a tough spot. Because he said, he basically says, okay, Abraham, I tried to give it to you for free. You wouldn't take it. So now that I'm giving you a price, you can't talk me down. What's better than free? 
You know what I mean? You can't say, no, no, man. Instead of 400, let me get it for 300. I tried to give it to you for free. So now you're locked in. And, and I think, I think Abraham was saying, you know what? I'll spend all of my money. I'll give everything. Because I value this location that much for burying my wife. Which brings us to a, brings us to a, a component of the gospel that we all have to wrestle with, which is how much do we value Christ as our greatest treasure? What, what, what are you willing, how much are you willing to give for Jesus? What are you, what are you willing to, to let go? What are you, what are you willing to, 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 to sacrifice? Is it, is it, is it Lord, like I've been hurt in the past and people have damaged me, so I'll be nice, but I won't truly be vulnerable? Is it, is it, Lord, I'm, 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 I'm connected to people who I know I shouldn't be with, but they understand me or they get me? What, what's, what's, what could, what could be the compromise? What could be the, cause it, it seems to me like our greatest treasure if it's Jesus, we'd be willing to sacrifice anything. There's a, a, a couple of mentions of, of a man who's looking for a beautiful pearl, spends time doing it, and when he finally finds this pearl, he runs, goes back, sells everything he has to purchase the land in which he found it. Matthew speaks of a kingdom. A kingdom where in, in, in verses 44 and 45 where all things are let go in order to purchase this one small treasure. But that one treasure far surpasses anything that we possess. So my question to you is, is, is how much do you value Jesus? What is what is is God your greatest treasure? And if so, would you be willing to give all things for him? If you're if you're a person who's like, man, I don't even know this Jesus guy, then we want to offer you the opportunity to get to know Jesus. Because there's no there's 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 no greater treasure than who he is. But if you are a person who says, yep, I do know Jesus, but man, I know I got some stuff that I that is tough for me to let go of in, in viewing him as my greatest treasure. I know I got some things that, man, I got 99 percent. You can have it, God. But there's that one percent that, man, I struggle with. Dare I say, God, I don't want to give it to you. I want you to know that you are in the midst of a family of people who want to walk alongside you in that who want to challenge you, but love you, grow with you, and be there for you as you become a new person and let go of that, that 1%. Because even though it seems small, it's, it's, it's actually extremely significant because Christ requires all of us. All of us. 
So, so he bought the field, y'all. Spent the $400. Said it's worth it to me. Oh, excuse me, the 400 shekels of silver. Said it's worth it. Um, and he buys the field in Machpelah near Mamre. Both the field, the cave in it, the trees within the borders of the field. You know, this is basically like the the official document. They're trying to describe everything so that he knows exactly what's his. Um, and I, and I want to let you guys, you know, read the rest of that in your own time. But I want you to know, like, come, come the end of Genesis, you got chapter 49. And you're looking at Jacob. And Jacob, you know, the last thing he says is, bury me back in the land that Abraham purchased. So who you got some big people who end up getting buried in this location in 23. You've got Sarah, you have Abraham, Isaac, you have Rebecca, you have Leah, and then you have even Joseph who at the end of 50 says, "Man, like, yep, I'm prince of Egypt. I got all this stuff, everything. But hey, descendants, when that 400 years is done and when we all head back to the promised land, you make sure you get my bones and you take them with you. This place. And I, and I hope that that encourages us as a body because Abraham, I don't think Abraham understood all that would happen. All he knew is he was taking one step. One step for God. Will you take the same? Not needing to know where everything is going to lead. Not needing to know all the answers. Not needing to know the outcomes. But saying, you know what? I'm going to love my wife better. You know what? I'm going to love my kids better. You know what? I'm going to stop allowing my insecurities to have my confidence feel as if I'm worth nothing. Christ, I can only do it in you. Let's start today. I don't, I don't know what the application is for you. I do know most of us have one. And, when I, and, and I want you to know that, that I feel like Jim hit it perfectly when he said, man, like, it's, it's in our brokenness that God can use us. It's in our brokenness that God can use us. But I, but I also know that one of the biggest things we struggle with is knowing God's promises. So I'm talking about promise and promised land. But let me let me recap again some of the promises of God. God has promised to supply every need we have. So you look at that and you say, whoa, Jesus, wait a minute. What I'm experiencing doesn't seem like all my needs are met. Did you look at my checkbook or you know what? Um, my my. I've got low self-worth, Jesus. I should be seeing myself how you see me. Do you see that disconnect? I don't. Or I've been trusting you for a mate or for um, whatever. Eternal perspective. Where God is saying, hey, I will care for your every need. But your every need does not mean your every want. And it's not unhealthy to desire a mate. It's not unhealthy to desire your confidence be seen in Christ. I think that I think that it's all it can all be godly. But we also can't put a timeline on when the promise comes to pass. If you have eternal perspective, you know, Christ, your promises are true. 
And I will experience them in this life and fully in the life to come. God has promised that his grace is sufficient for us. He's promised that his children will not be overtaken with temptation. He's promised us victory over death. It's like you'll either you'll either die and go on to be with Jesus or Jesus will come back before you die and you'll live forever. Either way, you'll continue living because there's an eternal glory that we have because of his victory over death at the cross. Amen. God has promised that all things work together for the good to those who love and serve him faithfully. He's promised that those who believe in Jesus and are baptized for the forgiveness of sins will be saved. And he's promised his people eternal life. Eternal life. There's a... um, a story that I want to read to you guys from uh, an author whose name is Marianne Bird. And uh, she shared this personal testimony in her book, The Whisper Test. She wrote, I grew up knowing I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. That's like a, uh, I don't want to say a deformity, but it's when your lip or an, uh, probably one of the doctors could help describe it better than I can. It just de- it's definitely a physical hindrance and doesn't, doesn't look well in the mouth region. What about that? All right. <laughs> she says, I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a mishappened lip, a crooked nose, lopsided teeth and gargled speech. When classmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to actually have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade that we all adored, Miss Leonard, She was short, round, happy, and a sparkling lady. Annually, she would have this hearing test. And Miss Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class. And finally, it was my turn. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it back, things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth. They were seven words that changed my life. Miss Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. Like Mary Ann Bird, born of a cleft palate, each and every one of us are born with a cleft heart. And God is reaching out saying to you, I want you as my child. I love you. If you don't know Jesus, he's saying to you, I wish you were my child. If you do know Jesus, he's saying to you, I want you to experience me fully. 
My promises reveal my heart and my love for you. Will you accept it? You don't have to be perfect. Don't have to have it all together. But have to be willing to accept our King. At this time, the brothers are going to uh, prepare for communion and tithe. I want us to, to allow these promises to rest in our heart. And I want us to um, leave here thinking of the power that Jesus brings forth family we're going to take tithe and then we're going to have a time of communion and um, wow Frank are you the only one I asked for communion I'm sorry I think you're on communion you going to get both okay um, great awesome yeah um so, friends, this tithing time is an opportunity for us to worship God. It's an opportunity for us to say, God, everything we have, it comes from you. And we just want to give some back to you to thank you and to advance your kingdom. So if right now you're wrestling with who Jesus is and not really sure of, of how money advances his kingdom and stuff, then feel free. Please don't, don't give. But if you do see this as a time of worship, we asked you um, that, yeah, you, you worship your king uh, through tithe and through offering. And then as the guys are going to pass from the ends, they're going to pass it down the rows. So some of you guys might have to walk the baskets across a little bit. Um, after the guys are, are done, then our people will come down for communion. And uh, we want you to, to take of the body uh, that was broken for you and the blood that was shed for you. If you are a person that is still trying to understand who Jesus is, um, we ask you not, not take of the communion, not take of the bread and of the drink, uh, because this is done for people who say, Jesus, I proclaim you as my king. Not perfect, don't have it all down, don't even understand you fully, but I get that I need you to lead my life. So we ask you to use both of these times as a continued time of worship, uh, our band will be playing uh, softly until people have taken of communion, and then we'll rejoice in song together. So, family, would you please pray with me? God, we thank you for the finances that we have. Um, Lord, we thank you for our bodies that we can give financially to you, but also give of our time and of our service and of our abilities. So, God, we ask that you would uh, use these monies to advance your kingdom. May outreach like backpacks and corner stores and people going to grab people for lunch and coffee and so many things that, Lord, you've allowed this community to experience uh, through, the, through the worship of your people. God, I pray that those initiatives would continue. Lord, I pray also for our time of communion, that as we come, um, Father, we would repent. We would ask you to search our hearts and that we would give anything that we've done that might even be a hint of tarnishing your cross. We would give it to you and, and ask that you restore us. May we experience, may you experience worship as we partake in these traditions. 
It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.